Welcome to Dangerous Christianity with Dr. Christopher Rodkey, where we explore new ways of being Christian that go against the grain, stands up against the church when it's evil, speaks truth to power, and reclaims the Bible as a radical message of hope, liberation, and justice. Dr. Rodkey is pastor of St. Paul's United Church of Christ in Dallastown, Pennsylvania, and leads the sacred profane community, a post-faith gathering for those seeking to nurture a literate and misfit geeky, sometimes sneaky, as well as a queer-affirming and beer-affirming spirituality. All information mentioned throughout the program is listed in the show notes. And now, please welcome Dr. Christopher Rodney. Scripture reading today is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, the 12th chapter. Then they brought him, brought to him a demoniac who was blind and mute, and he cured him. So the one who had been mute could speak and see. All the crowds were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul the ruler of the demons, that this fellow casts out the demons. He knew what they were thinking and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your own exorcists cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man? Then indeed the house can be plundered. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, People will be forgiven for every sin and blasphemy, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Like all of you, I watched in horror at the country's Capitol building be stormed this past week by angry, what would seem everyday people. In fact, I was writing a sermon on Luke 13 Wednesday morning, and I decided to tune into the session, the Senate session broadcast on my computer. And as things progress, I couldn't bring myself back to anything else. Right now isn't the time to analyze the events of that day in specifics. There will be plenty of time for that. We all have questions and different ways of looking at it. The questions about race and policing are important things to work through and something our country has to grapple with. I've already heard that the Jews were behind this. I've already heard that the Pope coordinated it and so on. It's hard to talk about something factual even when agreeing upon what happened has become obfuscated as part of the discourse. What I do wanna talk today is about Jesus, why he is always relevant. And this morning I want to go 
to what I think is one of the core foundational teachings that he offers that gives us some insight into what happened this past week. To return to Matthew 12, Jesus is healing people. Jesus is brought to someone possessed by demons. It's a temptation to try to make sense of what this might mean, this healing story, in terms of Jesus healing the man uh, as it could be reconciled with our current understanding of science today. The way Matthew is telling the story is that the healing of the man is secondary to what's really going on here. The gathered crowd is amazed at Jesus, so the Pharisees then begin to accuse Jesus. Remember that the Pharisees were a sect of Jews who were promoting a more democratic and open view of the temple priesthood and its authority in the countryside. They were sort of the liberals here, if we had to pick a word for it, even though they're often read to be the fundamentalists, which I think is informed by anti-Semitism when we read it that way. When, when they accuse Jesus of being on the side of the demons, it's because they believe, or they'd like to believe, that they have true authority of the temple and true authority of the temple's ability to offer ritual purity and to dictate law in their small countryside towns. In other words, they were trying to prove to their neighbors and to the priests in Jerusalem that they can practice true authority and spiritual practice as the priests do. Jesus arrives and the immediate issue the, the Pharisees take isn't about him doing good things, at least at first. It's that he's doing some anything spiritually powerful outside of the priest's authority and their authority. Now, Jesus is one of their own people. He's one of their subjects, they would think. But he is to be scapegoated in the story as an outsider because he is simply not one of them. What this is pointing toward is that Jesus approaches these men as people who say they want to open up the authority of the priesthood to more people. But in essence, they were just replacing one restrictive system with another form of tribalism. The Bible says that Jesus knew what they were thinking and understood the context and the politics of the situation, as those hearing this story in the first century also would have understood, because he's one of the people living in that region while this is happening. But the leaders of the Pharisees were dividing their villages with a new perspective of who's in and who's out and forcing them to pick on different loyalties with them or with the priesthood. They were dividing their own people for their own benefit while claiming that they're unifying and democratizing the religious practices from the temple in Jerusalem to the countryside and rural areas. I hope you're following what I'm saying here. The crowd is amazed and the Pharisees react saying, it is only by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons, and he is casting out the demons. This was not just being, an, being accused of being associated with demons, but specifically with Beelzebul. Now, who is Beelzebul? Traditionally, Beelzebul is just one of the names that is given to the devil or to Satan. That's the traditional reading of this. And that's that because, uh, but there's more if we consider the actual cultural context from which the Bible comes from that helps us understand this. The ancient Philistines had a god named Beelzebul, and it would have been common practice to associate foreign gods of the past as political rivals, that their gods are representative of evil. And over the centuries, it seems that the Jews adopted this word into their vocabularies 
And this is the, and I think the way this is told in the Bible is supposed to be a little funny. Beelzebul was the prince of demons to the ancient Philistines, but his name might literally mean Lord of the Flies, or Lord of the Lord of the Poop, right? Or the the poop that is followed by flies. That's what the word literally means. The poop attracts flies. So when the Pharisees say that Jesus is acting with the authority of Beelzebul, they're saying that he isn't one of us and that anything he does is really bad or evil by virtue of the fact that it's not us. And further than that, Jesus is the prince of the demons, the Lord of the poop. Those who follow him are the flies. They're saying to the crowd, believing that they, believing that they themselves speak with higher authority, that if you follow Jesus, you are like the flies that are attracted to poop. And by saying Jesus is the prince of demons, they're also saying that he can only heal this person because he has the power or authority of the demons over the demons. So again, I hope you're following. It's, it, this is an insult, but there's a comedic element to it in the story. But then Jesus speaks. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. No city divided itself will stand. Keeping in mind he's talking to the Pharisees, he's saying something about their drive to divide people while they say they're trying to unite. The Pharisees were not only a sect among other sects of Jews during the time, but speaking as someone from the same rural lake region where the Pharisees come from, Jesus is saying, you are dividing us. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. No city divided against itself will stand. And then he continues, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? Jesus is saying that if I'm the prince of demons, why would I be going around casting out demons? Wouldn't I be on the same side of the demons? And if I'm serving the kingdom of Satan, wouldn't I be working against Satan? And then he turns it back on them. When your exorcist casts out demons, do you say that they are also on the same side as the demons? Continuing, so if we are on the same side, Jesus says, the good news is that I have and am the good news for you. And if that's the case, which is truly good news for you, then you are on the side of the kingdom of God. But if you're against this good news, which is that this authority and priesthood no longer matters, then you're not just standing against me, but you're standing with God and you're standing with the demons. You're standing with Satan. And then Jesus says some more things, calling attention to the healing that he is doing in the immediate present. He says that blaspheming or sinning against God is bad, but it can be forgiven. You can blaspheme against me, he says, that can be forgiven. But what I am doing, the authority that I am invoking, I am invoking, and what I am serving is the Holy Spirit. Blasphemies and sins of purity and offenses against authority. Those things can be forgiven. But blaspheming against me will be forgiven. But yet the Holy Spirit that is working good things in this time and this place, right in front of you, the promotion of life itself, the restoration of happiness and health. If you speak and work against these things, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And then you're not really in a very good place spiritually in the universe, let alone with God, now or in the age to come. 
This passage of scripture is often used as a call to unify. That's what it is. Just because I'm not a member of your political party doesn't mean the good things I'm doing aren't good. I mean, how often have we seen that impulse play out in our political situation? Uh, last year in Pennsylvania, we've seen politicians knock down each other's ideas and then take credit for them later, saying they stole their ideas. This goes both ways, but the point is, how often do we lose sight that we are on the same scene, team trying to do the same good? That the promotion of life and happiness and spiritual maturity is only good if it's on my team and coming from my side. We get caught up in this in the church too. It's easy to identify the good that, good that we are by what we are not. And it's always the church in town competing for members and businesses that are to be demonized or downplayed. We want to get credit for the good that we do as we are getting credits and expect others to be turned away at the pearly gates with St. Peter saying, your money's no good here. It isn't just that we're really on the same team, but the idea is that the promotion of good and the promotion of life and happiness is the point, not just what we ourselves personally benefit from it. Who gets credit for it is a question that only has meaning, not only if we're not recognizing that we're on the same team, but recognizing that doing good things are good in and of themselves. And to think otherwise is actually to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That is the very one thing that you won't be forgiven for. You can say you hate Jesus, but what really matters ultimately is that you're building the kingdom of God through the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's, what's, that's all that's important. A couple of weeks ago, one of our shut-in members here at St. Paul asked me what I think it means when people have Trump signs in the yard and Jesus 2020 signs in the yard. What is that trying to say? It is a weird anomaly because Jesus doesn't want your vote. Jesus doesn't want the White House. Jesus does not care who is president. That's the good news. God is not an Israelite. God is the God of the whole world. The only tribe that matters in the eyes of God is that we're part of the only tribe that matters as a whole. Believing that Jesus wants these things, such as votes and politics and powers, is intentionally divisive. These ideas call division among the people while they pretend that it's holy. It's not. In fact, it's the worst thing you can possible, possibly do. It's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The real key to understanding this teaching of Jesus is this question, does Satan cast out Satan? The traditional answer on the surface level is no. Why would people on the same team work against each other? So here's the thing. As we've seen this week, people on the same side are working against each other. In fact, what we've seen this week isn't just a clash between political parties. We all know this. It's a clash within a political party that believes themselves to be above the law as the true and rightful holders of the law, and they're going to eliminate anyone who thinks differently. They were calling for the execution of the vice president for disagreeing with them on one thing. This has been brewing in our country for a long time. They believe that if you're not with me, you're against me. The reality, this really isn't about Democrats or Republicans. It's 
really a, it's it really isn't even about the left and the right as such against each other. It's about division turning on itself because that's what Satan does. Whoever they think Jesus is, even if they, whoever they think is Jesus, even if they really do believe it, is apparently a Christ that is grounded in division. You know, the prince of demons. We all know that the road to riot and terrorism on our nation's capital didn't come out of nowhere. And within hours of the riot, the internet was already lining up with accusations about who was really storming the Capitol. As I said before, people were blaming the Jews, they were blaming Obama, they were blaming the, the Pope, they are blaming Antifa. This is how Satan works. Does Satan cast out Satan? That's exactly what Jesus, that's exactly what Satan does. Satan divides. Satan casts out Satan. Our local politicians are already blaming their own constituents who didn't vote the way that they think they should for the riot. That's totally predictable. So when Jesus asks, does Satan cast out Satan? The immediate answer in the story is no. Why would Satan do that? Is now understood as the wrong answer. Instead, the answer is precisely yes. Satan does cast out Satan. That's exactly what Satan does. Satan divides. And Jesus saying, this isn't just about casting out demons. It's about you. To the, he says to the Pharisees, you who have the name of God on your lips and pretend to have the authority with your rituals, you are divisive, you are division. And when you use the name of God to make those claims, you fooled yourself into worshiping the very opposite of God. You worship Satan. This way of considering this scripture verse is rarely discussed because it turns this camera back on ourselves as hypocrites. We're all hypocrites, we're all liars, we're all sinners. And that's the first step of recognizing whose side you're on. Because those who sow division always believe they're in the right or that the authority by which they speak is always right. Some of you may have read Dante's Divine Comedy in high school or college. In its most famous part called The Inferno, when they get to the bottom level of hell, the ninth ring of hell, it's not hot, it's snow and ice. And the popes and the religious scholars and the self-righteous political leaders who sow division and conflict, they're all partially submerged in the snow and the ice, not quite dead, but not entirely frozen. They symbolize the evil that comes with the inability to change. As it happens, this is the good news Jesus is offering to those who are worshiping Satan without realizing it in the scriptures. You will be forgiven. Even if you blaspheme against God or against Jesus, what matters is the life-giving and whole person affirming and the radically loving and extraordinarily merciful life itself that is right in front of us in the one who is suffering as we help them. The immediacy of you, yourself, in the present is the good news. If we can respond to the call and the lore of the Holy Spirit knocking down barriers and proclaiming loudly that when we say God is love, we don't mean just some people or that God loves you insofar as you conform to my ideas. Well, it's not always clear what that looks like. It's clear what 
this doesn't look like. And the good news is that it's not too late to change. Even the most cold-hearted or frozen-hearted, barely peeking out of the snow and the ice in a living hell can be forgiven. The challenge is whether we take it upon ourselves to act forgiven, because forgiveness is a choice that we make, and it is what it means to flow and affirm the Holy Spirit. And this teaching applies to ourselves, too. I always like the picture of Conan O'Brien in his old show, and instead of an angel and devil on his shoulders, it was a bear and a devil telling him what he should do. There's always a voice inside of us bringing, down, bringing us down or trying to divide us from the inside. Many of us have really successfully suppressed this voice. Some of us wallow in it. Satan casts out Satan. Whether we can affirm ourselves, which we can affirm ourselves as a whole, and in doing so affirm others as a whole when we begin the journey of healing of ourselves and our communities. This isn't to say that we don't hold people responsible. This isn't to say we have a kumbaya moment and forget. It means that we recognize, we make clear that God does not want division. Those who profit off division are quick to point out that those who want to heal division are hypocrites because they want division. That's exactly what Satan does. Satan divides, saying, don't make us give up our division. We cherish our division. Don't force us to say or believe something that we have a, because we have a right to be divisive. That's exactly how division works. That's exactly how Satan works. And frankly, that's not how we're called to make our churches or our institutions or our government institutions. Insofar as they're limited human structures, we're not called to build the kingdom of God with things in the present through false teaching, because these things do not lead us to the kingdom of God. And as Jesus teaches us, Satan eventually collapses in upon himself. We know that's how the story ends. That evil is finally defeated, but we also know in the meantime, that's exactly how the world works. Be vigilant against the Satan worship that is rampant in our midst. Don't allow Satan to take real estate up in your mind or in your spirit. These things aren't easy. This is Satan, after all. But this is what Jesus calls us to do. This is what ultimately matters to be a conduit of love and unity, to work toward the kingdom which Christ promises to us and not the localized or tribal understandings of God that are easy to fall into. Every one of us has a spiritual role to play in this community. And each of us has our own demons which need to be exercised. We need to work together. We need to love persistently and we need to be on guard. Because Satan is always lurking. But the simple approach is this. Evil and cultivating anger and resentment is never building the kingdom of God. But we can invite those into a better way, into a life marked by nurturing and following the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, so be it.
Thanks for joining me for Dangerous Christianity, which is my sermon podcast from St. Paul's United Church of Christ in Dallastown, Pennsylvania. This is Pastor Chris Rodkey. If you'd like to give a donation to the church, you can uh, find the instructions in the show notes for the podcast, or you can email a tax-deductible donation to St. Paul's United Church of Christ, which is an open and affirming ministry, at 205 West Main Street, Dallastown, Pennsylvania, 17313. And feel free to contact me directly if you have prayer requests or concerns or thoughts to share. Thanks, and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Dangerous Christianity. For more information about how to get involved in the movement, how to contact Dr. Christopher Rodkey, or where to find information regarding his preaching itinerary, publications, or how to make a contribution to his ministry, please refer to the listed show notes. Dr. Rodkey, again, would like to thank all of his listeners for continuously supporting and tuning into his work and message. Thank you.